0: If you have your Bible, open and find, one more time, Matthew 13. We are again in Matthew chapter 13 in this series through the parables of Jesus. I do believe uh, that with our parable tonight, we're coming to the final one in this chapter uh, in our study There are six parables, I think, in this chapter, and we've already studied five of them. Uh, The parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the mustard seed and the leaven, the parable of the hidden treasure, and the pearl of great value. And tonight, we finish our look at the parables found in Matthew 13 with the parable of the net, which is another very short and to the point parable that we find in verses 47 through 50 we're going to read it in just a second um it's going to feel very even though you we haven't read it yet it's going to feel very familiar to you when we do just because jesus in telling these parables especially when they're stacked back to back like this like you find here in matthew 13 and especially these these short parables jesus was tending through through the succession of them to make the same point again and again and again uh and, and just these short parables uh, and they're all slightly different but they're all hammering the same the same point and that's not because Jesus was running out of things to say or to talk about but because Jesus was choosing to keep the focus on the most urgent and the most important things and the best way to do that is through repetition um, and and I'll I'll take this opportunity to say again I've told you I tell you, tell you this routinely no pun intended uh, don't don't ever let repetition in Scripture bore you. Don't let it bore you.'t don't, don't make you don't let it make you pass over it quickly because, oh, I already read that or I, I, I get it. No, no. Um, just linger there all the longer because you know that if it's, if it's coming up again and again and again, that is the Lord in His word saying, listen to this. And, um, my plan as we consider this parable after we read it in just a minute is to hear very clearly again what Jesus is saying and maybe consider an angle to it that we haven't yet highlighted um, uh, when we looked at, you know, uh, the other parables like this one. Like the, the parable of the weeds earlier in this chapter is going to feel, it's, it's a longer version of what this one's going to be like. Just The, the imagery is just a little different. Um, we need to hear what Jesus says in this parable and to hear it clearly. But since we've already uh, seen this kind of parable again and again, we won't linger long here, but we want to hear clearly what he says. Matthew 13, verses 47 through 50. So uh, follow along with me as I read. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, what we just read is your holy, inspired, inerrant, Infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary Word, as Lord I I come again, um, and ask again that you would give us eyes to see the truth and what the Lord Jesus just told us in that Word, and would you give us minds to understand clearly what He's saying? Would you give us hearts to embrace and take seriously, um, and to? what he says to examine ourselves through it would you give us wills to obey whatever it is that Jesus is admonishing us to do here and I think that there's some good things that he is give me the help that I need to teach please give us all ears to hear I pray in Jesus name amen all right Um, like I said earlier uh, in these short parables there isn't a whole lot of ambiguity in them I mean it Jesus main point is not vague here so we really don't have to Go searching hard for it. If you're taking notes, here's what I would like us to consider from this short parable. Just two brief points. First, the people of the kingdom. The people of the kingdom. There's going to be be two parts to this this point. Uh, First, when we think about the people of the kingdom, we're first going to look at verse 47. Uh, and, and, And there's an interesting phrase at the end of verse 47 that teaches us something about the nature of the kingdom of God the nature of the church. Um, that's, we'll look at that first part, and then we'll jump down to verses 48 to 50 at, at what he adds to that when he talks about the final judgment. So the people of the kingdom. And then the second point, and this is more of an application kind of point, but it's this, the preciousness of time. The preciousness of time. So just, and, and, and in that, um, I, I'll take that from a, a phrase there in verse 48. You're not going to see that exact phrase. But I, I, what made me think of it is something that's said in verse 48. And all, that, that phrase, the preciousness of time, is a phrase I'm borrowing from Jonathan Edwards um, that I'll get to in just a minute. So those two points, the people of the kingdom and the preciousness of time, and then we'll be done. Uh, like I said, this isn't a parable that invites long consideration just to understand it, but it does invite long consideration to truly embrace what it says. And, and uh, yeah, so that's, let's jump in. And let's think first about the people of the kingdom. Look with me in the early part of, of it. Jesus starts this parable in his very typical way. He says in verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. And that's very typical. I mean, if you look, look back at verse um, 45, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like. If you keep going backwards and you look at verse 33, he told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 31, The parable, he put a parable before him. The kingdom of heaven is like. And into verse 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Oh, there's a little different, but it's saying the same thing. Over and over and over again, repeatedly. The kingdom of heaven is like. Reminding us again that all of these parables that Jesus told, um, it just reminds us of the analogical nature of them. Right? What I mean is, he, Jesus in these parables is teaching us about heavenly, eternal, spiritual realities by way of an analogy with earthly common things that we understand so that it's easier to grasp, so that it's more memorable because it's in a story. And he says here in verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Now there is one particular phrase here that I'm going to want us to zoom in, but before we do, let's just step back and look at that verse as a whole to consider the imagery that he's giving here. We've already seen a couple of, of parables that emphasized how people are gathered into the kingdom of Christ. Uh, we've seen some like the parable of the sower, sowing seed, and that and the emphasis in the parable of the sower was on, our role in sharing the gospel, our role in sowing the seed of the gospel. That brings people in. Our role in that. And then we've seen other parables, uh, like the parable of the weeds earlier in this chapter, um, that emphasized the, the sovereign work of Christ himself in the growth of his kingdom. When it said, uh, for example, in verse chapter 13, verse 37, in that parable, it says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. We emphasize that as we share, Christ is sharing through us, right? We've talked about both of those ends, but I think when we come to this parable of the net, the shade of the shade of emphasis is just shifting a little again, a little bit to, to uh, one more time. Like not to take away from the other two, our role in, in 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 growing the kingdom through sharing or in God's sovereign role, but to add a third. Uh, uh, aspect to this, and what I mean by that is the net in this parable uh, seems to, to be uh, an analogy of the gospel itself. It's not, it's not our sharing of it, necessarily, or, or the sovereign work of God, but the gospel message itself is the net. The net being drawn through the sea is like the gospel message itself going out into the whole world. And the emphasis of this parable is going to highlight the different responses uh, to that gospel message as it goes into the world. What, What kind of reaction does that message itself garner? Which brings me to the phrase that I want to zoom in on in this verse, which is that last phrase in verse 47, that the net gathered fish of every kind. Gathered fish of every kind. Now, there's a couple of ways that you could take that gathered fish of every kind. I don't necessarily, and I say a couple of ways, I mean that literally too. I don't think it's an either or either, uh, but it's a both, both and kind of ways of looking at that. So on the one hand, fish of every kind uh, certainly has a, a biblical emphasis on believers from every nation and tribe and tongue. Fish of every kind, the gospel gathers fish of every kind every tribe and tongue. I think that can be one of the shades of meaning here, especially since that has already been an emphasis in one of the earlier parables, like the mustard seed and the leaven that talked about the gospel work and the world starts small and it, and it grows and it gets big and goes through the whole world, right? And, and, you know, verse 47 says, again, the parable of heaven is like, and so it's intentionally building on those parables that came before And certainly at the very end of this gospel, what's the end of this gospel? The great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. But thinking about fish of every kind from that vantage point, that that it was a legitimate, that that, that fish, that's just a good reminder from here that never to think that anybody is too far away from the gospel, never to think anybody is too far away from Christ to hear the gospel. Um, in this parable, the gospel, the gospel is the net. It's not your persuasion. It's not your, your eloquence. It's not anything. It's the gospel itself that catches the fish. And, and, and which is a good, that's a good word picture of what we saw. We're going to be back in Romans, by the way, this coming Sunday. And it's, it's good to remember uh, chapter 1, verse 16 of Romans. It says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that means as, as you're on campus at Auburn, it means as, as you're home for Thanksgiving or home for Christmas or, or whatever, trust the gospel to do its work in people's hearts. Um, and and, and trust, trust the gospel to be able to move in the heart of, in, of somebody that you least expect it to move, right? Um, because the gospel is a net that catches every kind of fish. It also means that not only not just no person is necessarily too far, it also means that no place is too far away. right? To take the gospel to those who've never heard, the sea, the sea that, it, that is a, a included in this parable, um, is often an image of the world in the Bible. The sea is. It's certainly it's an image of a wicked world. You say that in the book of Revelation, but this is, that's precisely the world that needs the gospel, the wicked world, right? So on the one hand, When Jesus says here that the net was cast and gathered fish of every kind, we are well within biblical bounds to be reminded of this um, and renew our commitment never to discriminate in our sharing of the gospel, never to prejudge somebody as worthy or unworthy, or they will be receptive and they won't. Don't ever prejudge anybody, right? Gospel catches fish of every kind. Uh, not just to our neighbors, but but to, to the nations, right? To be goers and senders to all the nations. That's, that's one way of thinking about fish of every kind. But on the other hand, it appears that within the close context of this parable, um, the of every kind has closer connection to every kind as in true believers and superficial or false believers. Those two kinds. Um, We will certainly see that point in the second part of this this, uh, parable where there's a contrast mentioned twice, once in verse 48 between good and bad fish, symbolizing, according to verse 49, the evil and the righteous. How did this, how did this parable begin, begin? The kingdom of heaven is like? So that maybe, if you're putting two and two together, maybe that, that raises a question in your mind. Uh, I know when I read it, uh, this, this is the kind of question that would come to my mind, is that, that if you're reading this carefully, you are thinking if Jesus is saying that this is what his kingdom is like, then how are, how are there bad fish slash evil people um, in the kingdom as well as righteous? How, how is that? Well, certainly we see uh, a parallel parable to this uh, in that parable of the weeds earlier in this chapter that raised the same issue. How could there be weeds growing with the wheat in the same field of the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus very clearly illustrates how this can sort of be. I want to give you an illustration of this um, in, in another passage in the Gospels. And I'm thinking about John chapter 8. So hold your pa- uh, your, the passage here in Matthew 13. Flip over to John chapter 8. Um, this is just a good, I think, a good example of what Jesus may be hinting at here. When you get to John 8, Look with me beginning in verse 31. It's a well-known verse and passage. John 8, beginning in verse 31. So look how verse 31 begins. Verse 31 begins, So Jesus said to the Jews who had what? Believed in Him. So Jesus is about to talk to Jews who had believed in Him. We're starting out well. And now he tells them what is true for every believer. He he tells them in verse 31 that true disciples abide in his word, and it's, it's through abiding in his word that we find freedom in Christ. That's what you would say to believers. If Jesus was speaking to Jews who had believed in him, there shouldn't be any problem with that, right? Well... They argue with him. And look at what Jesus tells them at the end of verse 37. He tells them, my word finds no place in you. Wait a minute. He's talking to Jews who had believed in him, right? But he says, my word finds no place in you. They argue all the more. And look down at what he says in verses 43 and 44 to them. He says to the Jews who had believed in him, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. These are Jews who had believed in him. And he continues down in verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And that is interesting because there is hearing and then there's hearing. It's why we pray every time. It's why I just pray, Lord, give us ears to hear what you're going to what you're going to say to us in your word. True believers hear and receive the word of Christ. They desire to. But these in John 8, who they had made some sort of public outward profession or action indicating I believe Christ I want to follow Christ that's why John would call them in verse 31 Jews who had believed in him but in over time their their later words their later actions proved themselves to be false believers the same thing happened back in John 6 you don't have to turn but at the end of John 6 Jesus said some hard things and a lot of the people who had been following him didn't follow him any longer they quit following him but for a time they had but time proved it to be false, proved it to be superficial, um, and they just quit, they, 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 you know, they just quit following him. But you can go back to Matthew 13, and this parable teaches us that there were those just like that who outwardly appear to be believers, hence they are outwardly part of the kingdom. They're part of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like, right? They they outwardly appear to be believers, but they are not truly so, and that they don't always fall away in this life like like they did and they just quit following Jesus in John six. Or they just get called out, "You're of your father the devil." In John eight, doesn't always happen like that. Um, sometimes there's not always a public quit quitting of following Jesus. Sometimes these people just continue being around the church, or they they they. They show up to church on Christmas and Easter, right? And they would claim to be, or maybe they claim to be Christian because they're Republican. Something like that. Uh, What I'm getting at is that that the the first aspect of of this, this first point about the people of the kingdom is that from our vantage point, from what I can always, what I can see and perceive, and what you can see and perceive, it is not always easy for us to see who is true versus who is false sometimes it is but not always there are weeds growing up with the wheat and it's not always easy to spot so from our vantage point the kingdom of heaven kingdom of heaven kingdom of god kingdom of christ all the same thing right now publicly is a mixed community not because we're trying for it to be that way but it just is that way it's a mixed community believers and unbelievers who claim to be believers Wheat and weeds, good and bad, fish, evil and righteous. But this parable, which is short and to the point, is almost entirely about the final judgment. It's giving a snapshot of the kingdom as it will be now and just prior to the second coming of Christ's final judgment. And it quickly turns to that, that time where we see the kingdom from god's vantage point that he knows his own and while unbelievers in this parable they are judged maybe people who outwardly appeared to be part of the kingdom throughout this life they're judged in the end because they never truly knew christ they were more tied to a a political party than to christ or whatever it may be um yeah, he, they will be judged, but what, what's left for the, the righteous, the good, not good morally, but just righteous in Christ, what are they? That they will all be together with the Lord, sorted into containers. <laughs> that's what it says in verse 48. That means this is an image that they're together, right? But that, that leads us to a couple of, of applications too. Like if that's, If the nature of the kingdom, the people of the kingdom in this life from our vantage point Jesus has told us more than once now, there's wheat with the weeds. There's good and bad fish in the kingdom. What do we do with that? One is one is the, the, the purpose of church discipline in the church. So um, I, I, this is why I, we make such a big deal about the fact that when you're in college... Um, you, you need to join the church. Like, you need to join the church. Like, you, 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 you live here. You have moved away from your home. You live here now. And you're going to presumably live here for three or four years or longer. And then when you graduate, you're probably not going to move right back home. You might. But chances are really pretty high that you're going to move off to somewhere else. and You're never going to be a part of your home church again. All right? You're going to move off to somewhere else. So this really is the first step in your adult life in terms of church. Why would it be important then for you to uh, take the step not just to attend this church but to join this church in the years that you are here so that you go to the Discover Lakeview class and we can hear your testimony. I can hear your testimony and and hear how well you understand the gospel Tell me the story of when you heard the heard the gospel, understood it, repented of your sins, believed in Christ. I can hear that out of your mouth, and I can and and that helps that helps us shepherd you. If you if I don't feel like you understand the gospel, that's good for you and good for me to know that, and we can we can work on that. Uh, and and, it, and it's so that when when you do come into the membership of this church, that. Me and everybody here knows that you are committed to this church. And when you are not here, why are you not here? Where have you been? You know, like where where have you been? I, I, we're not perfect at it, but that but that's the intentionality. Is 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 that uh, we we try to make it very difficult to be completely anonymous at Lakeview. We try hard at it. We're not perfect at it. We try. We do it that way so that we can shepherd one another. So we guard each other's faith so that we can spur each other on to love and good works until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what, that's what this parable should admonish us, us to do, at least, at least one thing it should admonish us to do. That if we know, if we know that um, there are going to be some who don't persevere to the end, I don't want that to be me. And the tools that God has given me, the means that God has given to me in my life to persevere to the end is not just His promise that I will, but a people that are going to help me persevere to the end, right? Let's, let's take that admonition from this text. But there's a second application I'll give, and it's actually the second point that I want to bring out from this parable, which is the preciousness of time. And what got me to consider... That point in this parable is that beginning phrase in verse 48 about the gospel net being dragged. Verse 48 begins, when it was full. When it was full. Meaning, there is an end point to the opportunity. There's an end point. There's an end point to our time here. The net's going to get full one day, right? There's an end point to our time. Last week, we were in Matthew 25, and we looked at the parable of the talents. And maybe you remember, we pointed out how in Matthew 25, verse 19, when the, when the, the master went to the servants and, and gave them each their varying amounts of talents, it says he went away, and, he, and, and after a long time had passed, he came back to settle accounts with his servants. A long time had passed. He was gone for a long time, and we emphasize when you see when, when the, that Jesus phrased it like that. That taught us about the mercy and the patience and the long suffering with God of God, and rightly so. But this parable, the net, is a is a good reminder of the other end of that truth: that no one is guaranteed any amount of future time. Therefore, time is precious. Jonathan Edwards wrote a short essay in 1734 called The Preciousness of Time and the Importance of Redeeming It. He was basing it on um, Redeem the Time in Ephesians um, because the days are evil. I would encourage you to read that, by the way. You can you can Google it. It's probably, you know, you can probably easily find it. The Preciousness of Time. Jonathan Edwards. And uh, he's, he's simply meditating on this theme. And early on, he, he has this admonition. He says, you have an eternity before God. When God created you and gave you reasonable souls, he made you for an endless duration. He gave you time here in order to be a preparation for eternity. And your future eternity depends on the improvement of time. Consider, therefore, what you have done with your time. And certainly, he writes that with the hopes that you trust in Christ. That's that's your best improvement of this time. You trust in Christ. And now, having trusted Christ with your time, you seek to follow and grow in the grace of Christ. That's That's an improvement of your time. But then Edwards, in that same thing, He laments two different groups of people with regards to their use of time. First are what I presume to be unbelievers in his his essay. This is what he said about them. He laments unbelievers who spend their time only in worldly pursuits, neglecting their souls. Such men lose their time. Let them be ever so diligent in their worldly business. And though they may be careful not to let any of it pass so, but that it shall come some way or other to turn a worldly profit, they may improve time only for their benefit in time. Lose it. Because time was not given for itself, but for that everlasting duration which succeeds it. They therefore whose time is taken up in caring and laboring for the world only, in inquiring what they shall eat uh, and what they shall drink and wherewithal they shall be clothed, in contriving to lay up for themselves treasures on earth, how to enrich themselves, how to make themselves great in the world, and how to live in comfortable and pleasant circumstances while here who busy their minds and employ their strength in these things only, and the stream of whose affections is directed toward those things, they lose their precious time. And certainly we we see people all around. I have people in my own family. that That seems to be, that describes them very well. Right? And God forbid it be true of us. But he also lamented not just what, that group appears to be unbelievers. They have no thought toward Christ. They have no thought toward eternity. This is all there is, and this is what I want to make much of, me and my, and my life in this world. But he also uh, knows that unbelievers are not the only ones guilty of this. He also lamented what is often also true among those who profess faith in Christ, that we, I, waste too much of the time that he's given me and we wasted on lesser things to that group this is what Edward said and he didn't pull any punches if men were as lavish of their money as they are with their time if it were as common a thing for them to throw away their money as it is for them to throw away their time we should think them beside themselves and not in possession of their right minds. And he ain't wrong. If there's a parable that teaches us to value the preciousness of time that God gives us here, it's this one. It's the parable of the net. It's a good admonition knowing there's going to come a day when the net is full and time in in my life is not going to be any longer. And Eternity is not going to be a, a realm that's completely unconnected to this life. What I do in this life is going to, I don't know how exactly, but it's going to count and it's going to matter in eternity, right? And this is a good one to know that time is fixed. Um, there's an end coming. So we need to, to use and, 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 and improve, as he says, on the time not only trusting in Christ, but bearing fruit in keeping with that repentance and faith that we profess to have. Not so not so as to hope for grace to come in the future, but knowing that as we give ourselves to those things in this time that He's given us, it is evidence that we already have that grace because that doesn't come from me apart from His grace. That's my reflection on the parable of the net. Let's pray.